1: Hello and welcome to The Political Party. Today's guest is Angela Rayner. And oh my word, are you in for a heck of a ride? This is off the charts. Nothing I say can prepare you for what you're about to hear from the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party. But just before that, don't forget you can email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com with your mundane encounters, unusual, or indeed just inspiring and uplifting encounters with politicians. Leo's been in touch, who for a while was at Cardiff University and uh, was president of the Labour Student Society. So given where a lot of these emails have gone in the past, you know that the person he's encountered is, of course, serial, (laughs) I was going to say, offender's not the right word, but sort of serial protagonist, Neil Kinnock. Now, Leo sent a a fantastic story about um, Neil coming to talk to their student union and just how warm he was, but there's a brilliant moment in this he said the one thing that sticks out in my mind above everything else was five minutes from the end a student in the audience asked him about tony ben before he answered i reminded neil he only had five minutes left so it'd be preferable if he kept the answer brief 25 minutes later i had to interject to tell him that if he didn't finish he'd miss his train we rushed him out of the hall Back into my friend's Toyota, Yaris, which speeded back to the station. I sent him a text to see if he would got his train okay. No response came. I was completely worried all night as I'd irrationally thought he'd missed his train with images of Neil sleeping rough on Card- Cardiff Central Station platform, waiting for the 5 a.m. train swirling in my head. Luckily, I received a text the following morning stating, Good night with great comrades. He'd just reached the, t- the train in time, but his phone had run out of battery. I breathed a huge sigh of relief. Reflecting on the evening, Neil is one of the warmest, funniest, and down-to-earth politicians I've ever met. They say, never meet your heroes, but I'm so glad I did. Kind regards Leo. Leo, that is a fantastic story. And of course, you too can experience the thrill of meeting Neil Kinnock on the 7th of March at the Political Party, live at the Duchess Theatre. Tickets for that um, available through the website, mat slash live. And what a run of guests coming up. Absolutely sensational. On Monday, the 7th of February, I'll be joined by Michael Heseltine, a true political heavyweight, a titan of British political history, Monday the 7th of February at the Duchess Theatre, two weeks later, I cannot wait for Edwina Currie, one of the most outrageous politicians in British history, certainly someone who doesn't hold back, that will be a, a, a great laugh, and of course on the 7th of March, Neil Kinnock, lots of other guests to be announced, and the Christmas special from last year that we had to reschedule due to COVID is now on Monday, the 11th of April with our headline guest, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Tickets for all those at mat4.com slash live. And I'm delighted to announce that my new tour, Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, which of course is a very appropriate title for someone of my political persuasion. Um, also, it really does highlight how quite slow I am because I should have picked that title years ago. Anyway, I finally realised the title I should always have been touring under. Clowns to the left and me, jokes to the right. Starts in February, including at the London South Bank Centre the beautiful Purcell Room on the 19th of February, but all over the country. Exeter, Gloucester, Sheffield, Swindon, Southend, Birmingham, Corby, Chorley, Salford, Stafford, Newcastle, Hexham, Alnwick, Annick, Maidstone, Norwich for the first time, Cambridge, Edinburgh for two nights, Glasgow, Leicester, Northampton, Bath, Brighton, Eastleigh for the first time, Brighton, Cardiff, Camberley, Peterborough, Maidenhead, the Bloomsbury Theatre in London in April, Bristol, Leamington Spa, Shrewsbury, Nottingham, York, Leeds and Canterbury. So hopefully one of those should be near you. Um, And you can get tickets for that at mapford.com slash 2022 tour, which trips off the tongue very easily. On to this show. Oh boy. I was very excited to interview Angela Raine. Now, obviously I'm always excited to interview my guests, but I'd never met Angela before. Sometimes with some of my guests, I have met them before. Sometimes I've interviewed them before. And I'd booked Angela a few years ago or thought I had. And um, it turned out I can't have booked her because the night I thought I booked her was her birthday. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad I waited or was forced to wait um, by that mistake. And then by COVID, because now she's deputy leader of the Labour party. And now there's a lot more to talk about. And, I think she's one of those politicians, um, whether you agree with her politics or not, that people have been asking for for a long time. People want politicians to be themselves and to be a bit more expressive if it comes naturally to them. Uh, And it comes very naturally to Angela. Now, she is very funny. She's one of the funniest people I've ever had on this show. And this is just a lot of fun from start to finish. We begin, of course, with some live stand up uh, live from the Duchess Theatre uh, and where else to start? but talking about Boris Johnson, the current Prime Minister at time of recording, uh, and the mess of uh, the details of all these parties and um, the reaction of Keir Starmer. Starmer's living. I just watched a clip of Keir Starmer on uh, Sky News said, he has a national distraction. <laughs> He has to go. You know, I, I kind of agree, but I would like him to just get more annoyed now. I'll tell you what, I think he's a fucking prick.
0: <laughs> just bugger off. It we'll
1: would be way better. I think it would be more cathartic for the nation to do that. But watching Boris Johnson, the last fortnight, the amount of times you've just seen him on TV, a broken man, I implicitly believed. I implicitly believed. That what well, was one of the shittest... I mean, watching him stand there going, I implicitly believed that it was a work event. Uh, Must be very triggering for his ex-wives. I imagine they've seen him in that sort of stuff. Now I implicitly believe that doing it doggy didn't count as cheating. No no, no. No one warned. I was only there for ten minutes. It really, really didn't count. And then we saw him broken. That interview with him on Sky News, where he's got his mask on and he's just there going, I I know, I know. No, I, I, I. well, the, I've never seen a Prime Minister in that state before. And apparently that was the point at which all these Tory backbenchers decided to send their letters in. According to one Tory backbencher, watching Boris Johnson look like a broken man was, in their words, a real turd in the trifle. <laughs> which is probably what they ended up eating at the end of one of those garden parties. Sounds like a Bullingdon initiation ritual. We know what they do to the biscuits. Imagine what they do to the trifle. Too much for some of your fair dues. So on the Tuesday night he looks like a broken man. They're all like, "Let's get rid of him." Comes out on Wednesday and basically just goes to, "Are you the party opposite? The <laughs> semi-Marxist, pretty pewed look-down lovers uh, who, who said carrots? Yes, sausages." And you're like, "That was what saved his life." Was just coming out and being a brick. You're like. The moment he showed some contrition, they were like, get rid of this guy. The moment he comes back out and goes, what, what, sausages, carrots, they're like, good to see him back on form, yeah. Keep him as Prime Minister, everything's fine. The turd is out of the trifle. I mean, watching, I thought one of the, uh, thinking about all this, you're like, well, I studied history at A-level, and I loved it. Imagine the students of 50 years' time studying this, I mean, I remember my A-level history class, had portraits of different prime ministers with their most famous quotes. Gladstone, my mission is to pacify Ireland. Churchill, never before in the field of human conflict, has so much been known to so few by so many. What's Boris Johnson's gonna be? <laughs> uh, I don't care what with you, I'm out of Chateau Patrice. <laughs> uh, get some of those Scotch eggs thingies, yeah. <laughs> mean, <I'm> you single? <laughs> Absolutely incredible, imagine studying that. Okay, today, uh, kids, we're gonna study the fall of the Johnson government in 2022. Can anyone tell me uh, what precipitated it? Yes, Stephen? Yes, he was getting shit-faced every night, well remembered. Does anyone know why he was getting shit-faced every night? Yes, Catherine. Because he's a dirty, lying bastard. Absolutely right. Well done for remembering the Queen's exact words, by the way. We'll come on to the Cenotaph incident in episode two. I mean, Starmer, I thought, was very good at, uh, at Prime Minister's Questions and his, his best moment, I, th- I mean, last Wednesday, watching Prime Minister's Questions, I've got friends who aren't into politics at all, who watched Prime Minister's Questions last week for the first time. My phone was going, people were going, I'm taking the afternoon off work to watch it, I'm going to watch it. I haven't had this much excitement since there was a fight on the school field. <laughs> like, Starmer's going to batter him, yeah, he told me during double science he's going to cave his head in. Everyone's watching, people turning on telly just to watch the Prime Minister get beaten up and rightly so but Starmer I thought his finest moment was when he said he says he didn't know thought it was a work part that it was a party thought it was a work event clumbering over the glass bottles I thought it was really good like paint that picture and that was really quite a clever thing but he just stops there. It's like go further says he thought it was a work event clumbering over empty glass bottles picking up cans of Carling, taking a swig finding out it's just full of backwash and fagash. <laughs> Special advisors faced our being sick. some of them getting wiped off and fingered on the staircase. <laughs> he says he thought it was a work man. <laughs> of course. Uh, Keir Starmer had a major coup just before Prime Minister's question started. The first defection to the Labour Party for the Tories for years, Christian Wakeford, who was sort of paraded from one side of the House of Commons to the other, sat behind him. I loved it. The weird bit, I must say, was the fact that he was wearing a Union Jack <laughs> face mask, which I understand that the Labour Party is trying to show that it's patriotic. I haven't got a problem with the Union Jack. I'm a patriot myself. I don't mind seeing the Union Jack. When I see it across someone's face, <laughs> it is inherently intimidating. <laughs> it says less we're the party that's uh, you know relaxed with british values and more i'm gonna throw a chair through a kebab shop window who <laughs> is this guy this guy by the way christian wakeford now the labor mp for barry South. his former colleagues are now grassing on him stuff he said in whatsapp groups this was always inevitable you may have seen one of his comments about the labor party in his whatsapp group a couple of years ago it just said labor hyphen bunch of cunts <laughs> I wonder if he greeted his new friends in that style as he was making his way across the second bench. Hello, cunt. How's it going? All right, cunt? The honourable member for Cuntingdon West? I mean, some of the stuff that has come out. Christian Wakeford is now alleging that he was bullied by government whips and blackmailed. Numbers of Tory MPs now claiming that as backbench MPs they're effectively blackmailed by their own government. Which is just off the scale. You're like, illegal parties, blackmail, opulent parties, you know, they're basically gangsters running down the street. The whipping operation must be out of this world. Nice little majority you got here, mate. Shame if it got halved. One of them was a threat. Apparently he said if he didn't vote in line with the government, he wouldn't get a school for his constituency. You're like, what sort of... Vote, vote with the government or the school gets it. What school? Exactly. Welcome to the Tory Party, son. It's at the layer cake. What the fuck is going on in there? What are the people? By the way, I mean the idea. What are the other um, tactics? They apparently threatened to leak embarrassing stories about backbench Tories if they didn't vote in line with Boris Johnson's government. Now, given Boris Johnson's behaviour, what he thinks is embarrassing, what the rest of us think embarrassing, I think are two very different things. Well, hello, Christian. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking that forward, right? We, we've, got a, we've got a whole document on you, son. We've got photos that are deeply embarrassing. We've got photos of you obeying the law, being a decent father, and, and being being deeply faithful to your wife. <laughs> yeah, the game's up, Christian. <laughs> I mean, Tory MPs now are a bit of fear for their life. They can be on politics live as a silhouette, speaking through one of those voice-changing machines. <laughs> I said that I would vote against the second reading of the highways act. I bundled into the back of a van, a hood placed over my head. I was in a stressed position for six hours until I saw it myself. I do believe the Prime Minister was in the van. I could hear him laughing. And there was a strong smell of sausages. There is one good announcement that has come out of government this week. Grant Shaps has announced, ironically, um, that too many announcements on trains will now be illegal. Now, everyone else on Twitter has been piling on the go. I've got to say, I think since like peace in Northern Ireland, this is the government policy that appeals to me most. <laughs> I'm like, I think I prefer this to academies. This is so good. The amount of trains, it's just the endless... they should just say, this is the 10 o'clock service from London to Edinburgh. Um, you'll figure the rest out. Thank you for travelling on this. And I got on a train from, Nottingham, from London to Nottingham a few months ago. The train journey was 90 minutes. I think the bloke spoke. It was, I was basically travelling on a podcast. <laughs> He's still going on. He's got ads now. What's going? He's got a Patreon set up. By the time we got to Loughborough, what the hell is going on here? Thank you again for travelling with East, we do value your service, do let us know." It's just endless, I might one want to go, thank you for choosing, I didn't choose to travel with you. There was literally, because of the way the trains were privatised, you were the only option on the train. To get me from, there's no loyalty to East Midlands trains. You're a localised monopoly, know your place. I just love the idea of grand chaps being on the train, getting annoyed and going, actually I can do something about this. We're gonna fucking ban this rubbish. I think it's really got. A cut. I find it so exciting. I was like, yeah, I would like Labour to get involved. I mean, I see it. Uh, also, all the see it, say it, sort. I mean, firstly, it should be see it, say it, sorted, it, shouldn't it? Not see it, say it, sorted. That ruins like the logic of the thing. I mean, I'm not sure. Keir Starmer. It's far too sort of uh, <laughs> far too um, short for Keir Starmer. Right? I mean, he'd probably happily do away with it anyway um, if he's ever promised that. Got to see it. And if you see it, you've got to keep your eyes peeled. That's what we're saying to people on the railway. Look out for it, but see it. And then you've got to say it, you've got to speak up. Even if you think it might not be a big thing. It might be small, but you've got to speak up. And only then, only then, very important that people understand. Only then, once you've seen it, you've said it to a member of station staff. can't just say it to anyone. Only then is it sorted. <laughs> Remember the nine S's. See it, say it to a member of station staff. <laughs> and that'll be a serendipitous, uh, run out of S's. I, I would like some, this, this is the thing though, this is one of those issues that's cross-party. Like this is not left wing or right wing. They should all get behind this. That bill should have a load of it. Just start adding in amendments that will improve our train journeys. Have a cross-party commission on it. We'd like to, very simple, But very simple. People who play loud music and don't even put their headphones in, and all we say to the government is very simple, I remember Mr. Speaker, shoot on
0: sight.
1: <laughs> Just start banning annoying stuff, this is great, do you know what I mean? If the, if the price we paid for Boris Johnson being Prime Minister, delivering a hard Brexit and everything else, is we ban some more annoying stuff. I'm not saying it's fully worth it, but at least those of us who voted Remain are gonna get something out of this world. <laughs> Oh man, go even further. What we're saying is, from now on, anyone, I don't know why I've made a kiss, I'm a promise. Anyone, I mean, just ban all sorts of stuff. People, you know what, the, people who start stories and have no idea where they're going and introduce details that are, irre- I mean, I'm squarely aimed at my mum with this one, really. <laughs> Introducing details that are not relevant to the story. Oh, I saw your Auntie Mary the other day. No, it wasn't uh, Mary, it was Jack. No, it was Mary, yes. Um, I saw her on, Wow, when was it now? It's Thursday. That no, must have been Tuesday. So I saw up. The day didn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's Tuesday, Thursday, or 1985. Get to the point of this story. This should be banned. From the 1st of May, deviating on a story will be illegal. Any details that are not important to the story will be banned. Remember the one S. Say it quickly. Uh, Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've already been uh, a fantastic audience. We obviously have a wonderful guest in the second half. Um, Thank you for being uh, so so lovely. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, if any of the jokes weren't for you, I'm I'm sorry. I I implicitly believed that this was all golden material. Uh, I can only apologise if you weren't sophisticated enough to get it. But we have such a special guest tonight. Someone I've never interviewed before and never met before. Someone that I've admired since she first became an MP just seven years ago and is already one of the biggest stars of British politics. She is one of the most outspoken and charismatic members of Parliament. She's the most powerful woman in the Labour Party. Please raise the roof for Angela Rayner. (laughs) Angela, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I said he had to introduce me like that or I wouldn't come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit swearier, your version.
0: (laughs) Oh,
1: sorry, I forgot your drink. Um, Give me a second, sorry, 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 that's very rude of me. I've got water for me and I've forgotten that um, you need a drink, so... uh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. What's it? A- absolute and diet coke?
2: It is, yeah, but if you haven't got the wine and cheese them am off. <laughs> I've gone up in the world now. <laughs> I know what the standards are to get into government.
1: <laughs> see how much of this, you this can This is where I'm now. going wrong, you see. Um how large a serving do you like? Or should well, I just free pour? that's about
0: pull? right for me, yeah.
1: <laughs> or should I just free pour? <laughs> I've got some ice in here for you, you see.
2: Oh I've got ice as well. Oh yeah, this is posh.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's a posh old day. Uh, people have paid money and everything. There we go. I'll save a bit back. Or oh, do you like a lot of ice?
2: Oh no, because it dilutes the vodka. Oh right. shit! Sorry. <laughs> that's what they do in a bar, don't they? Put way loads of ice in so they water down the drink, so it costs them less.
1: And um, do you want to do it yourself, or yeah, should I, can I do pull it? It's more COVID self, safe, isn't right. it? Yeah,
2: COVID safe you and all that. Your own vodka. I'll drink my own as well if that's <laughs> all right.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to share it. Okay, so... W- <laughs> that, don't judge! <laughs> Gosh,
2: this is a harsh audience. Oh, I've yeah. not, not even said anything yet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, people might have expected a slightly larger... Oh, sorry, yes. A Thank slightly you. larger serving, but... Um,
2: oh, right, okay, I'm starting. Start, you know, Monday night, it? I've got my staff with me, they're worried.
1: <laughs> I, I'm sure they're used to it.
2: They, they really are now, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, they've been working long hours.
1: So... <laughs> So on a Tuesday, but what have you got first thing in the morning? Because that sort of determines how much you can drink tonight, I guess.
2: Shadow Cabinet. What time? (laughs) But the thing is, at the moment, it's on Zoom.
1: (laughs) Perfect.
2: So I'm like, yeah, I'm here.
1: And do you have your camera on or camera off?
2: Camera off. I've got a trauma-induced cataract, so... <laughs> what?
1: Hang on. Right. First, you're the Do you shutter. know, I really didn't
2: think it had ever come into its own. Like, when I was young, <laughs> when I was young, I, I fancied this lad, and I was about 12, 13, and he wanted to go for a sig in the bushes, so... <laughs> I thought, I'd be really cool, you know, follow him. And he stood on this twig and I was walking behind him and I didn't stand on the twig and as he left off it, it flew up and hit me straight into the eye. So I've got a trauma-induced cataract, which means that the glare often gives me a migraine, so zoom is a bit of an issue
1: for me. Funny that these six spotlights haven't triggered it.
2: (laughs) Fine so far. (laughs) It might do later depending on the questions, but at the moment (laughs) we're all (laughs) right
1: not say, Angela, please put your camera on, you can see us, we can't see you, it's just not fair, Angela.
2: No, I really can't see Keir saying, I want to see more of you, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble already, aren't I? This is not good, I've not even had a
1: drink yet. No, 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 up, It'll be Thank fine. you. <laughs> so, what is, it, you know, the, the relationship between, certainly in the Labour Party, leader and deputy is always, Studied Blair and Prescott, um, and now Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner. Mm. How does it work? Like, is, is there a formal element to it? Do you have to meet like every so often?
2: We try to, because otherwise, because our diaries are so busy. Otherwise, we'd just be like passing ships, wouldn't we? So, mm. um, but no, we we have informal as well. What was really funny in the, in, in the mi- in when we was working in the middle of COVID is that it was only me and care in the office, literally, at the time. And uh, I did this thing for, but I, I do this thing for trainee journalists. There's about 70 of them on this Zoom call as I was doing it in the office, and they asked that very question, you know, how do you get on with Kid? And just as he said it, I'm not kidding you, Kid jumps through the door and says, Ange, do you want a brew or, or a sandwich? <laughs> so I was like, come here, kid, you know, come here. And I'm not kidding you, he just literally popped his head in my photo museum. my Zoom. And the, these, these trainee journalists was like, this is unreal, and it was like, yeah, that's organic, this is how we roll. <laughs> so we do actually, you know, we do we do these quirky things where we get on and see each other and stuff like that. <laughs> not like that <laughs> I you, think you've been <laughs> reading far too many newspapers
1: <laughs> today's newspapers <laughs>
2: well if you'd read them you know it's not Kia.
1: <laughs> I mean how do you feel about um, your private life being in the papers
2: do you know what it, it is what it is um, you know I'm, I'm it's just one of those things, you know. It, it's more harder for my family because they have to, they read it and it's like, you know, then it's a bit awkward. It's like my son thinks I spent 85 quid on a pair of shoes. It's like it's 55 quid, I got them in the sale. So <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're gonna say something about me, let get it right, you know. It was, a, it was a dress and it wasn't even the right place where they said I got it from. So that can be a bit infuriating when they want to de-dress me, you know. So, but in all seriousness, it, you know, I, I'm used to it by now, unfortunately. I think it comes with the job a little bit, that you do get a bit of that. And there is a tint of misogyny in it. I've got to say, you know, I get quizzed on... Every time I do a PMQ, somebody has an opinion on what I want. Did you see the meme about Sharon Stone, like I was doing at the last PMQs? I was mortified. You what? Like, they did this whole, like, meme about me apparently doing the whole, you know, the whole... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when did they do that? <laughs> What's but that like, I haven't seen that at all. Did you not see, like, the no. Fatal Attraction thing when it with the whole growler thing. <laughs> 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 I,
1: t- I mean, I've, I've seen the film, but I wasn't aware that...
2: <laughs> I wasn't aware I did it, but apparently, like, there was this whole meme about how my dress was, like, you know, a bit revealing, but I didn't think it was. It and was what a perfectly suitable Karen Miller in the, in the sale, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what was the theory that you were doing that to distract Boris?
2: I don't... <laughs> <I'm laughs>
1: do not take much, does it? <laughs> I don't need to do that. <laughs> it's quite interesting watching you go up against him because there seems to be, and I know that you're ideologically opposed and I'm sure you have very strong opinions on what he's been getting up to. Oddly, though, in Parliament, you th- these rivalries get thrown together where there's clearly a bit of mutual respect. like, I think he has a level of respect for you. Like, he seems to enjoy it when you're at the dispatch box.
2: Yeah, I think he's got a bit of a romance going on there somehow, hasn't he? Cause he do you know what I think it is? It's like, because Michael Gove kind of did this as well. I think they try and, uh, if you can't beat him, smooch him do you know what i mean i think there's a little bit of that going on it's a bit like oh you know it's like you can't beat a puppy do you know what i mean you can't beat a seal so like working class girl from council estate if i start attacking her i'll look really crap as a posh guy from a posh school so i'll just try and compliment them in a sort of backhand way i think that's how they try and sort of deal with me because they don't really know how To deal with me, that's the thing. But my mates from the state I grew up on, they keep saying things like, I've got to say words like, you played yourself. <laughs>
0: like that. So
2: the, my mates always like banter all the time, like, and next time you're up, the deal is you've got to somehow weave into your question, you played yourself, or some like street talk so <laughs> to wind him up. What other,
1: what other phrases do they try and get you to say?
2: Uh, all sorts, but I, I, I resist. I resist the temptation to go. Although I have said some stuff, you know, I do sort of like go, I I do my own thing, you know. It's like last time when Prime Minister was like giving it all about the job and all that, and I was like, I heard there's a vacancy coming up. I just can't resist it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's banter, isn't it? You know, if you've been around the boozers, (laughs) <laughs> and you've been there on a Friday night and someone's like doing a really crap job of hitting on you. You know how to sort of like put in a zinger and he just lines them up really well on me. <laughs> so it works, it works fine. I think mean, that's how it is. So he doesn't quite know how to handle me. Because the first time I thought I got a free pass on him because... What had happened was Keir had been pushing to get me on the Privy Council so that I could get security briefings, and there'd been delays and delays, and because num- number 10, basically, the Prime Minister vetoes whether or not it happens. And so when he I first met Boris Johnson at the dispatch box, he kind of didn't know whether to call me the honourable or the right honourable lady, but it looked like he couldn't call me a lady. So <laughs> he did actually play himself because, like b- 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 and everyone's like, she's a lady. <laughs> Oh so he just like totally ruined his like opening shot because he didn't quite know whether I was honourable or right honourable so he did actually play himself on that occasion. Because then it was just mince after that and was like, Yeah, you're mine.
1: <laughs> but you don't seem intimidated by it at all. You know, we're constantly told that working class MPs find Parliament, you know, they say the, the design of itself of the chamber is designed to intimidate working class people, that we didn't go to private schools and that the whole thing. I never found that. I mean, I've never been an MP, but I think it's just a, an amazing building. It must be a phenomenal place to go and represent the people that elect you. You don't seem cowed by it. At all. You seem to relish it as an arena.
2: No, because I just think, like, I think it probably intimidates people from the private school because they... They sort of respect that institution in that way, whereas for me, it's a case of I respect the people that elected me to be there. So I just see it as like, right, this is my moment to represent those people. So I don't get intimidated by that because I've already overcome the barriers that were there for people like me. Anyway, you know, going to the doctors, you know, seeing the police—they were all people that did things to you. They weren't you. They weren't the people you chat to. So um, you know, I'd I'd already come over. I'd already overcome those barriers. So. Parliament, to me, is about the people I represent, not about the building. I do appreciate the building. I'm one of these people that gets the history, and I love it. You know, when you feel that dispatch box, it's got, like, little grooves in it where other people have touched it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit creepy, that, isn't it? Like, (laughs) 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 next time you see me on the telly, you'll be watching to see if I'm rubbing it. (laughs) But but it is, it's got history, do you know what I mean? It means something, but it means something to me to sort of do a good job. Like, that's the thing that sort of, the pressure for me is like, do a good job, don't let the people down who you represent. So I'm always like, purposely thinking about them, and that's why I don't get psyched out by it. I get pumped up by it, because I'm thinking right, here's your moment to say what those people expect you to say, so don't let them down.
1: But there are people in politics who've been around, who've done like, the student politics thing, been a special advisor, then got parachuted into a safe seat, shadow cabinet, cabinet. They are useless at the dispatch box. Mm. And you basically became an MP in 2015, and they were yeah. straight into the shadow cabinet.
2: I did it accidentally as well. I've been, I've been a really <laughs> successful accidental MP. And <laughs> but the thing that worries me the most is I thought, I must be really devious and... Slippery and awful because that's what I parliamentarians were before we're in there. So I sort of went into politics by accident to prove that people like me can't get elected. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of got elected, and not only that, I've been like one of the most successful at climbing that greasy pole and I didn't mean to that was the point <laughs> I have never ever taken nobody warned you
1: that it was a greasy pole yeah exactly <laughs> and I've never
2: taken positions for and that's probably one of the other reasons why I'm so like outspoken and do my own thing because I've never done it for oh I need to do that because I want to be this or I need to achieve that So I don't take that seriously, but I've been highly successful, which makes me look at myself in the mirror and say, are you really a really nasty individual, or are you a really nice person? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, you know, the fact that I've been able to achieve that, but I've just always gone with what I think is right. I've gone with my gut, do you know what I mean? And that's got me in trouble sometimes, but I've I've always spoke what I think is the truth.
1: But, I mean, I understand why someone who comes from a trade union background wants to be a Labour MP, and that idea of representing the people is very important. But then within that, obviously very quickly, you've developed a level of ambition, you stood for the deputy leadership. Do you possess that extra bit of ambition to one day lead the Labour Party?
2: The thing is, is I stood for deputy because, I mean, at the time people were really pushing me to stand for leader and there was this pressure behind me to say, look, you know, um, the party needs people to go forward. I was getting, you know, a lot of people pushing me. And to be fair, that's how I became an MP because I didn't think he even had the... Uh, ability to do that, but people were saying, look, you know, if you don't step up, who is going to, so I I stood for deputy because I'm an organiser by trade, I I like to organise, I like to to do things in the background, and uh, I've never seen myself as the solution to anything, so, and I know that sounds really strange because I seem quite a really confident person, but I'm confident for the people I represent, So putting yourself forward and up into that limelight is is quite a challenge, and there has been a challenge for me in the learning curve. Um, So, you know, I stood for deputy because I felt that at that time it was important that my voice was heard because, you know, I was being put under... A lot of people around me were saying, this is what we need and it's important. And I think if I'd have not stood for either, then people would have been like, well, it was almost like it'd have been easier for me to get out of that and go on the back benches, chill out. I'd done a couple of years of I mean, under carbon, it wasn't exactly, you know, peaceful times, was it? <laughs> so I'd done like we had what the EU, EU election. We had like three general elections, two leadership elections. I was exhausted. So you know, I'd never been a backbench MP, champion. I'd heard about all these wonderful things you can do as a backbench champion, <laughs> like have a holiday, <laughs> see your kids. <laughs> you know, so there was some like you know, many of my colleagues decided to take a step back at that time because they were exhausted. You know, it'd been a tremendous couple of years, but. I felt that I had to step up because it was a voice that I needed to put out there for the people that I represent and I was hearing from a lot of people saying, you know, the Labour Party needs to be there for us and you need to put up or shut up. So I felt that I had to do something and that was the way I felt I could contribute in the best way. I felt my contribution would be better as deputy and I still believe that that is my best contribution at the moment because it's better for me as, as an individual to grow but I felt it was also the best use of my organizing skills as a trade union former trade union rep I get the rhythm of our movement as well as what I see as what you would call the red wall vote really because I'm one of them as well
1: but also, I mean, it's not even just about leading the Labour Party, is it? You stand there at the dispatch box, you know, you like touching the one on the opposition side. Wouldn't you rather be Prime Minister filling up that box?
2: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something like, I'd love to figure that box, but it sounds awful. <laughs> it sounds wrong, uh, what well, it's not well it's just nine o'clock we're all right <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know it's it's like yeah I mean the frustration for me is I've I, I have literally spent the last six years not not really seeing my family you know running around the country I, I developed the National Education Service which I still stand by as one of you know the greatest things we could implement a lifelong learning free at the point of use modeled on the NHS I believe in those things I spent years developing it, the early years stuff, which built on the Blair years, which was about Sure Start Plus, Great and really taking that forward, <laughs> yeah, we were winning. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted to get, I want to do something, you know, you can, you can be a, you know, I did the stuff with uh, the Conservatives on the sex and relationship education, compulsory in schools, I thought it was really good work it's all grace and favor i can't fundamentally change things as the opposition you just get to rant from the sidelines and it's not worth it if i don't see my kids grow up and things like that i want i want them to you know when my boys are 30 and they say mum you wasn't there half the week and stuff i want them to say mum the reason you wasn't there is because you did something you changed things and i'm really proud of you so that's what spurs me on i want them to see that it all meant something that me being away from home wasn't just about shouting into the shadows. It was about actually fundamentally making the change so that my granddaughter can have the opportunities that I had. Because I remember those opportunities that I had. You know, I went back to college after I was pregnant at 16, so I left school without any GCSEs. And it's, you know, I was looking after my mum at the time. School was a secondary issue for me, so I needed that second chance. You know, I grew up on a council estate. I was like that mum that the Tories were talking about. You know, the teenagers. Getting pregnant to get a council house—it wasn't that. That's not what we did it for. It's no fun. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but you know, I wanted to prove to people that I could do right. I wanted to work. I wanted to have that second chance. But I needed that opportunity when I n- when it was right for me. And it's not always right for people at that time. So I just I believe in lifelong learning, and I want to achieve that. And I'm not going to achieve it if we're in opposition.
1: when you leave school as a mum at 16 at that point would you have ever imagined you would become a Member of Parliament or Deputy Leader of the Labour Party?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> and neither do my mates still now. <laughs> They're like, oh, bless them, some of my mates from school, they still, like, fight with my Twitter bots and all that. I'm like, stop fighting with them. Yeah, but you're a nice person, they don't know you. I'm like, stop fighting with them. You know, they just have this pile-on with the people that are the haters on social media, and it's like... So when my political life collides with my, <laughs> with my former life, it's quite intense. Interesting, um, but no. At 16, I really didn't see that. I wanted to. I was at home. I, I wanted to just provide for Ryan. I wanted to prove that I was good enough because I felt that pressure. Uh, at 16, when I when I got pregnant, th- I mean, there wasn't even disappointment to be honest. They just sort of accepted that was what was people like me. That's what happens to <coughs> girls like me. So um, there wasn't really much disappointment from anyone. But for me, I wanted to prove that I could be something. And Ryan was a real changing point for me because before I had Ryan and before I was pregnant I didn't really care about myself I I call myself feral I was a street kid you know I was going clubbing it at 13 14 and things like that I was mixing with the wrong crowd um, and I could have took a really different path but when I got pregnant with Ryan everything changed because I wanted to prove that I could be a good mum and therefore I just needed those opportunities to help me dig myself out of that deprivation that I was in and it's not so much poverty in terms of I didn't have money it's poverty of not that having that love and self-respect because I never got nurtured and loved as a child and that's why I'm so like strong about um Sure Start Plus and about those crucial early years so that children, like interventions in my life, even if it was just like my English teacher for 10 minutes spending time with me, it's like, why are you spending time with me? So I spend loads of time in my schools now, speaking to young people, telling them how amazing they are because I know how positive that can be to someone who's never had that interaction and it feels weird saying that because you think you know, my mum and dad did love me but they didn't know how to love me they had their own stuff going on and my mum was never loved as a child, you know, so we never got hugs, we didn't get stories as a kid or anything like that. So I went to Shore Start to learn how to be a proper mum to my son. It's, I, I, it's not that I didn't want to be a mum to my son. I loved him. He, he ter- turned my life around. But I didn't know reading to your child is important. I didn't know hugging. Like I thought kids just knew they loved it. it. Sounds weird to say it, doesn't it? But we never got... Hu- if my mum or my dad or anyone tries to hug me, I'm a bit like, you. <laughs> because it's just not natural for us. And I had to learn how to take hugs off my kids. And the best moment for me was when my son, yeah, I'm a grandma, when my son had um, his daughter, he just naturally scooped her up in his arms and I thought, that's the difference, it changed. It came naturally to him, whereas I had to learn how to accept a cuddle. And th- that's, that's the, the emotional deprivation. And that can happen in any household. That's why Sure Start Plus to me was such a big like, endeavor and it was such a big importance for me that it had to be universal that it couldn't just be, oh, you're poor people, so you need it. It was like, no, from wherever you're from in any walk of life, emotional deprivation causes significant harm, and you don't even realise it. You don't even realise that that your behaviours are like that until someone literally points it out to you.
1: There are so many people in this country that have had a similar experience to you. They don't end up going into Parliament. They don't... It just wouldn't occur to them. What is it about you, do you think, that makes you different?
2: I think it was luck in a lot of ways. I was in the right place at the wrong time. So, (laughs) So, for example, if I hadn't had Ryan, I wouldn't have then been motivated to get a job. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to prove that I could look after him. And my Nana, who worked three jobs at the time, said to me, I'll have him in the evening when I come home from work. If you put him to bed, I'll have him in the evening so you can get a job in the evening, because he needed childcare. So I was looking in the newspapers, they had no qualifications, and I saw an advert for a private care agency, and they'll take anyone. And they <laughs> wanted evenings so perfect, because no one had worked the evening shift. So that was bang on for me. So I started to work for a care agency, and then i have worked for them for a couple of months, and then a job came up in the council. And one of the girls who I worked with said, and you should go for that, because they pay your travel time and holiday pay and so i was like okay and because i had a bit of experience i was the last home help to be a pl- employed within the local authority and then going into local authority saw the big difference between the private sector and the public sector and then i met the trade union movement and then obviously i'm a bit gobby and because i'd seen how it was because <laughs> i'd seen how it was in the private sector and then i went into the public sector and then they started to try and privatise the care that we were doing. I'm like, why would you want to do that? It's like really crap in the private sector <laughs> compared to in the public sector. We get loads more time with our service users. Why would you want to do this? This is crazy. So I kind of spoke up thinking management would want to do the right thing. LAUGHTER <And>, uh, <laughs> And that was my first lesson in politics. <laughs> and then uh, and then the girls who were worked alongside you were a lot older than me because I was the last one that came in said, you should be our union rep. And I'm like, what's a trade union? And then overnight I became the union rep. And then, you know, the rest is history. And then I got involved in the trade union and labour movement. And I remember my old man said, at least, well, we knew there'd be one left footer in the family. I mean, the most left wing we ever got in our family was my dad got the Daily Mirror every day. And that was it. <laughs> and even then I didn't know it meant that at the time. But, you know, it was. it it was just one of those things we didn't do politics in our house as I was growing up but I certainly had a very big learning curve when I went into the trade union movement and it sort of took off from there
1: and did you enjoy being a trade union rep loved it what did you like most about it
2: it was so varied and it fitted me because I'm I I like chaos I suppose that's (laughs) why (laughs) That's why I've done so well in politics over the last six years, because when everyone else is like, oh, my God, this is crazy, I'm like, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Never knowing what one day brings. It's like, this is great, this is how I like it. I like being on the edge. Um, Because that's how my childhood was, you know. My childhood was quite chaotic, so um, a little bit scary. So... It, it felt natural to me to be in hostile environments, <laughs> So the trade union movement was a great place for me. I learnt, I learnt a lot. And, and also I learnt that, you know, um, you know, I was standing up for the underdog and I did a really good job of it. I was
1: very good at it. And what sort of... I mean, I, I used to work for the Labour Party. I was a member of a trade union. I met trade union reps. Would you say it's varied? I mean, I imagine most of it is just arguing with train companies about paying conditions or with local authorities, stuff like that.
2: Oh, no, it could be one thing to another. So, like, we had this mass email once in local authorities that went sort of viral, everyone was sharing it, which was beer versus pussy and along with some uh, pictures and everything else and that was thousands beer, beer, beer versus pussy yeah <coughs> and they ranked each one based on cold wet warm wet you know that sort of thing and which well, was staff uh, yeah so this was staff at all levels and all ranks in all different local and they were all like oh this is funny so they'd share it so we ended up because there were so many that had obviously been involved in this we ended up doing a mass agreement, which were individual disciplines. But we ended up having to do like a collective agreement on, depending on your rank in the organisation, whether you just received the email, or whether you sent it on to a colleague, or whether you sent it external, on wh- how far you went up the disciplinary <laughs> ladder. It was quite interesting. And and then I remember another time, I was. Uh, thrust straight into a meeting with management to talk about a Section 31 partnership, I'm like, what's a frigging Section 31 partnership? (laughs) I had to sit there and wing it through the meeting. So therefore, going into Parliament and dealing with the chaos there was like small fry compared to the union movement at times. And then I had another time I had to represent um, a social worker who had, you know, the management had left him in a completely vulnerable position where he'd had a serious accusation against him. And And it took me nine months to to represent this guy and to support him. He couldn't see his family. He had to be removed from his family and everything else. And it was, you know, I learned a lot about the detail as well and being on the detail. And, you know, and um, they sacked him on the technicality, but on the main substantive stuff. They, They didn't, but at the end of that process, he was nearly in tears and said to me, I don't care if I've lost my job. Thank you for believing in me. Because, you know, he'd he'd lost just about everything at that point, you know, and that one moment where I'd stuck by him and supported him, you know, it meant the world to him. So I I realised the value of the detail and not seeing, you know, it's not about what you see is all glitzy and glamorous. Sometimes that little bit of act of kindness or that act of dedication can have a massive effect on somebody's life.
1: If you're a really good junior rep, you're like a lawyer, really well a plastic one yeah <laughs> i don't think Kier would agree <laughs> <laughs>
0: just, yeah just call
2: me sir angela rayner <laughs> <laughs>
1: Does he ever sort of flex his muscles legally?
2: No, he's not like that. He's honestly, he's he's a good guy. He's not like that at all. Um, but you know, yeah, union rep is about arguing someone's case, and I can argue my way out of a paper bag, you know. Um, <laughs> my my dad said like I got grounded once, and I was really cheesed off about it. And my dad had these rules. By care. No, <laughs> yeah. And, and my dad had these rules on the wall, and it said if it's crying, hug it. If it, it, you know, if it's dirty, tidy it, and you know all this. And I put if it's grounded, let it out. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's kind of how I was, so I've always been a bit, I've always been a bit spicy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, uh, I mean, because Kia's talked about resilience, where it comes from, you know, the things that happened with him and his family and, and the things that he went through that are very emotion. that however tough politics is, it's not as bad as that. I guess in the same way it's similar for you, that once you've experienced life in the manner in which you have, the House of Commons is... Just such a small problem.
2: Yeah, exactly. And even though me and Kira like yin and yang, we both are driven by similar experiences. But, like, whereas I've sort of got through it by being more s- sort of talkative, more sort of open and expressive about who I am, because that's how I've sort of learned to deal with the experiences I suffered and the trauma, Kira's sort of dealt with it by being more sort of um, strategic so he's as emotionally connected to the issues as i am and as dedicated to them he just comes from it from a different point of view on how to get to the same aim and i understand that about kia you know he's the most passionate person you'll meet when it comes about his family you know he talks about them all the time he cares a great deal about you know winning and actually changing people's lives so we both have exactly the same aim and we both have similar experiences in terms of he had difficult upbringing his mum was poorly you know he comes from a working class background but he went a different route and he was trained you don't do the emotional you do the practicalities you don't get emotional about an issue you know he's dealt with you know people who have been murdered you know really graphic devastating situations so he doesn't talk about the emotion he deals with the is it right or wrong, and how do I put that forensic case forward? It doesn't make it any less than the way I deal with it. I deal with the emotional side of it, whereas Keir will deal with the practical side of it. And that's why I think we make a good team because we both bring those things to it. If, if you're just emotional, then you're not really getting to the nub of the problem. Whereas if you're just dealing with the nub of the pro- problem, you're not actually saying why emotionally it's important to do it. So I think me and Keir work well as a team together on that basis. I pull him out of his sort of lawyer, and he pulls me out of my sort of roughness. So we, <laughs> sort, of, we sort of meet each other somewhere in the middle.
1: So I- in that reshuffle last year, where he, he tried to demote you. What was the number of the problem, and, and did you get emotional?
2: You <laughs> <laughs> lights are really starting to it there. <laughs> I never get emotional. I was perfectly reasonable. We came to an agreement, and we were both very happy with it.
1: And was he reasonable?
2: Ah, he's always reasonable. He's a pussycat.
1: (laughs) 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 Because he can't move you as deputy leader of the Labour Party because you're elected by the members.
2: No, I don't think he'd want to, and he never genuinely gave me any indication that he wants to. He sees the strength. And we're not in competition with each other, that's the thing, because I'm not Kieran, he's not me, and, I mean, that's pretty obvious, really. (laughs) But I like to think that we complement each other in that way, you know, and I have a huge amount of respect for Kieran, what he's trying to do, and, you know like it or lump it wherever you are in the Labour Party or anywhere else you know you look where we were and look where we are now then I'm sorry by any stretch of the imagination is doing a good job so um, and I'd like to think that I contribute to that and help in my own way in the way that I operate so I think we make a really good team and we are a colleagues you know we do rub up sometimes but actually it's incredibly constructive and I would l- I genuinely think we've remained friends which is good you know it's a good thing to do.
1: So th- there was probably a bit of tension then, but you've, you've m- you managed to overcome it.
2: We are, there's always a bit of tension in relationships. I think you know anyone who says there isn't is lying. But it's a mutual respect. You know, it is genuinely a mutual respect. You know, when a, when I was elected deputy leader, me and Kira had not had a conversation before because obviously I, I was I was standing in a different platform and we hadn't had that conversation. So when I was elected and he was, it was in lockdown, do you remember, it was just after yeah. uh, we'd found out about the COVID situation, it was April and it was, it, we were all sat a bit, bit of an anticlimax to what was quite a big, a big deal. And Keir rang me and uh, said, congratulations. And the first thing he said to me was, you've had COVID, I've not. If I'm
1: better than you.
2: <laughs> no, that's not what he said. But if you if you remember, Boris Boris was genuinely like seriously ill at the time. You know, he was in he was in intensive care. So the first thing Keir said to me was, um, you know, first of all, what do we need to do if something happens to Boris Johnson? Because it's quite a big moment for the for the country if that happens. Because he was very poorly. And then the second thing that Keir said to me was, you know, I've not had COVID. You've had COVID. We need to put a system in place if something happens to me that you're able to take over. Now that, to me, signalled very clearly that he respected my election as deputy leader and that set me off on the right track with him, because I thought, well, fair play, he didn't have to say that, but he set off on that tone that, you know, if something happens to me, then we need to put a system in place, because obviously with Jeremy, and Jeremy Corbyn and Tom Watson, <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Jerry, it was pretty much <laughs> a <laughs> a, <laughs> as the <laughs> cartoon went, so... It, it signaled to me that that's not what he wanted and he wanted a different relationship, so it kind of set him on the right track, it was like, I don't even know, he probably, he wouldn't have known he did it in that way, but for me it was like, it's, sometimes it's that thing where you don't consciously do something, it's like misogynism, sometimes people like are sexist and they don't even know they're doing it and then you're thinking, oh, what wanker. So, you know, when someone does something nice and they don't realise they're doing something nice, it's like, fair play, that's really nice, cute. <laughs> So, so we set off on the right track, in other words.
1: Well, that's good. Um, and it's clear that you've got a constructive relationship and that the dynamic yeah. works, and it's partly um, that, that dynamic is helping making Labour more popular. So you mentioned Shawstar earlier, and the, the huge help it was to you obviously was a, an achievement of the last Labour government. Yeah. Um, not everyone from your side, a wing of the party, is always so complimentary about the last Labour government. In fact, in the Corbyn years, it was basically seen as a continuity Tory government. Or I got w-
2: John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn to agree that start was a good thing. <laughs> to bridged the gap. And, um,
1: <laughs> what, did you have to, what did you have to do to them to get them to? T- <laughs> no, no. They, they
2: they they accepted that. They understood that as well. You know, it was. It, 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 sometimes these things are overblown because. It's a bit like what was said when you know, our friend was murdered, Joe Cox, and we've got more in common than that divides us, and that is right in the movement, but for far too long, we fight about the fine minutiae, do you know what I mean? It's, that's the problem with the Labour Party. If it's not perfect, then it's like, oh, it's terrible. It's like I say, we always like, under-promise and over-deliver uh, and that's what I would say is the big difference between us and the Conservatives. The Conservatives will, you know, they'll overpromise and under deliver and then say, Look at what we delivered for you, isn't this wonderful? <laughs> Whereas we will underpromise and over deliver and then fight about the bits that we never ma- actually managed to do but never talk about the bits we managed to achieve. It's just a it's just a thing. It's like a abusive relationship we have with el- ourselves, you know, like it's like the when you look in the mirror and you think you look fat, you know, the Labour Party is always like, oh, we're not good enough, are we? (laughs) It's like, yeah, you are, you're brilliant, can you talk about the great stuff rather than talk about the bits that you're not so proud of? And that's the frustration for me in the Labour Party, for far too often, we're too busy fighting on the things that we don't think we've got perfect, whereas actually, what we've managed to achieve, how it changed my life, I'll never be... I'll never be sorry for any Labour government we've had because they have made such a big difference to our society that I'll never, ever be sorry to be part of our movement and I'm incredibly proud of what we've achieved.
1: Um. (laughs) Have you ever met Tony Blair?
2: I haven't met him. I've spoke to him. I texted him, you know, when I was going to have that real... Like, I was going to, you know, after... um, I said that for letter word and then Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then I had, and then I was doing PMQs. Do you remember it was just after that? It was my first sight like, outing at the dispatch box. So I text Tony and I said, You've had some pretty shitty PMQs. Can you give us a t- can you give us a tip? And what did he say? He texted me back and said, Yeah, you know, just be yourself and
1: you He know. said, Have you seen basic instinct?
2: <laughs> yeah, he he just said TNT <laughs> <laughs> Tits and teeth, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Just in case he's listed to this podcast, he didn't. He was incredibly supportive and sent me some wonderful words.
1: People might be surprised that you and Tony Blair text to each other.
2: Yeah, I mean we're not like bud and buzzy, buddies, you know what I mean? It's like but I speak to you know, I've I've spoke to Gordon Brown and you know, I've, like I say, I've text Tony and stuff like that. So they're all on hand. They're like godfathers, aren't they? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you disrespect <to suspend> me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like the elders, aren't they? It's like Superman, isn't it? <laughs> And the wise council, you know, <laughs> you've got to keep them all happy. Like all the lords, me lords. I called them me lords when I was doing education, because they were all like, they've got knowledge, you know what I mean? There isn't a report that they haven't read from the past, so, you know, you'd be stupid not to listen to them. But then you have to make your own path, do you know what I mean? You can't be defined by other people, but certainly speaking to people that have been there, done that, and bought a T-shirt is not necessarily a bad thing.
1: And, and that four-letter word mm. got into a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: we're, like, we're like a Torian in that said a worse word than I did for them.
1: Yeah? <laughs> i yeah. never use that word. No, that's but it's perhaps not the strongest defense that other people have said. No, no. <laughs>
2: I'm not defending it.
1: Um, but I can see how these things happen. Mm. Is, this, is, this, is, is my version of events wrong? You're at a party event. Yeah. The absolute and Diet Coke is flowing.
2: More the cheap. Warm wine book
1: one. The cheap warm wine is flowing. The M&S sandwiches have gone crusty. Yeah. But you're eating them anyway. Mm. And um, there's some warm white wine has started flowing. And you're amongst like-minded people. You're all having a bit of a laugh. You overstep the mark. Yeah. And say that the Tories are homophobic, misogynist, racist. I said
2: Boris Johnson and his cabinet were. Boris
1: Johnson's cabinet. Yeah. Who happen to be Tories. Yeah. Yeah. Homophobic, racist, misogynist, was there another
2: uh, misogyny? I <laughs>
1: transphobic?
2: Yeah, there was quite a lot in there. It was basically a f- uh, it was a, it a was full, a full man, of
1: yeah. <laughs> scum. Now I imagine it went down well in the room.
2: But the thing is, right, the context to it, and and by the way, I apologise because it was wrong. And because mm-hmm. what happened on the back of that actually was a lot of abuse. I didn't want people to abuse conservatives. I want them to vote them out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no abuse in po- in politics for me. They're you know, people are elected, you know, I don't want to abuse Conservative MPs and I don't want to incite abuse. I want people to be motivated to vote against them at the next election. That's how democracy works in our country. But what I was doing is to a bunch of our activists was trying to say to them, why are we fighting each other when you've got a group of, you've got a Prime Minister who has been racist, misogynistic, homophobic, and we're fighting each other when we're allowing these people to continue in office. Because if we don't get our stuff together, then these people are going to continue in office, and that's our problem. So it was to a group of activists to try and say to them, look, you know, the bigger fish out there is that we're letting people down when you've got a Prime Minister who's openly said some pretty awful stuff that, quite frankly, I think m- makes him, you know, even before Partygate, I think that makes him, you know, a completely unacceptable candidate to be prime minister. You yeah. wouldn't last a, you wouldn't last in, a, a, in most jobs if you'd said what Boris Johnson had said. So I just felt it was completely. Unacceptable. So for us to be fighting each other at that time, I felt was completely unacceptable. So it was my motivational speech to say, get our act together, because if not, you're allowing people who have these views to remain in power. I shouldn't have said it in the way that I said it. And what what I was on reflection, the reason why I was upset was because it incited people to be verbally abusive, and some people sprayed stuff on MPs, offices and everything else. And I didn't want that in my name because I wanted people to vote against them. And that's my clear message. You know, I'm, I, I want you to get passionate about politics. Of course I do, because it affects people's lives. It affects my life but the way to change it is to vote against these people and to get organised, join the movement, you know, tell your mates and family. You know, I say that there's always a UKIP in your family, isn't there? There's always one that you avoid (laughs) at at a party, you know. I get it, you know what I mean? Oh, you and your lefties, you know, and it's like you think I'll just, you know, I'll just leave them to it. But actually, you need to have that conversation with them and say, well, the reason why we believe in this is because it changes people's lives. So that's what I wanted to motivate people to do, not to abuse people verbally or anything else.
1: That's one of the most effective apologies I've ever heard, because you now, actually, in apologising, kind of justified today. People <laughs> 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 are like, you're right, actually, take the apology back. Um, but it's like,
2: no, just get passionate, get passionate, get angry, but turn that into something positive about how you can change your community. And it does, it does work, you know, we had a Conservative seat that was like... A, you know, I've always been conservative, and then Owen Paterson's seat flipped. So they, they ca- you can change stuff, that's the thing, because a lot of people say to me, well, nothing ever changes, you're all the same. So I want to motivate people to actually think, I can make a difference.
1: <gasps> and and wh- Do you have friends in the Tory party? Because sometimes, actually, people do have friendships in the house. Yeah, schools, it's also nice things. So who are the ones that you get on with?
2: Um, there's quite a few of them. I mean, my my favourite who's uh, no longer an MP is Nicholas Soms, you know, me and him got on really well, because I'm <laughs> like, your grandad used to be an MP for like Oldham, so you need to come and speak to him in one of my schools, you know what I mean? It's like, that would be really cool. This is Winnie's grandson here. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I call a £5 pound note now, Winnie. <laughs> in, in, in honour. Uh, but no, I, I, do, I, I do have conservative friends, you know, I do speak to quite a number of the conservative backbenchers, and to people on their front bench you know and and we got on totally fine
1: so <laughs>
2: <laughs> even after that moment you know some of them texted me and said oh you don't think i'm scum and i was yeah. like no no i wasn't saying oh that's that. so sad <laughs> oh it's like no it's you know like a bit awkward it's like you said the sex was bad. Was it really me who you were talking about? No, it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't think anyone was going there. Sorry, it's a bunker. No, don't apologise at all.
2: Um, but you know, it was like, there was text me like, did you think I was scum? It's like, no, you're, you're alright. <laughs> <laughs> you're a nice toy. <laughs> you haven't been racist to anyone or misogynistic. If you want to identify yourself as a racist, homophobic, misogynist, then yeah. <laughs> you know, but I didn't see you in that way.
1: But obviously... Um I imagine you regret that the fact that it seemed to contribute to a, a kind of negative
2: absolutely yeah.
1: tone of debate and, yeah. and people getting a, abuse yeah because um,
2: it should never turn to that you know but whether I like it or not and whether they like it or not I'm elected so my constituents deserve the respect to me as their parliamentarian but equally the conservatives are elected so they deserve the right and the respect Because they've been elected by their people, whether you like it or not, they've been elected. So for me, it was about changing hearts and minds, not abusing the person that's democratically elected to represent their area. Because all you do then is it undermines democracy. If people, and I get a lot of abuse, if people try and scare me into not speaking, then what they're actually doing is silencing my constituents, (coughs) because I'm there to speak on their, not for me, I'm there to speak on their behalf. So for me, it was always about motivating people to make that change happen. If you don't like the values of the person that's representing you, who's voting for these things, then work in your community to vote them out. That's the way we operate in in a democracy. What I didn't want is for people to abuse people to the point where they feel scared that they can't represent their constituents. And you know, luckily, across the House, MPs say, well, I won't stand for that but it's still it's not acceptable it's not acceptable that i get emails saying i know where you live and i know where your kids are and you're going to end up like your mate joe cox that's not okay you know and conservative mps have had the same you know they've had similar hate mail and i just think that you know if if abuse is not tolerated in politics and i don't think we should tolerate it for anyone including any political party we shouldn't be accepting it we should speak out about it
1: you talk about getting elected and the Tories being elected. What's your analysis on why the Tories keep winning? Or why does Labour keep losing?
2: Because we, we wasn't offering what the people wanted to see. You know, that's the truth. We were, we, were, we were too busy. This is what I was saying before about perfect. Labour wants to be perfect and we're too perfect even for our membership let alone our voters you know so we alienated people with this test of perfection you know what you don't know about what's happening in there you're not left enough <laughs> you can't be part of us it, it just it, you know it, we wasn't listening to the voters we were patronizing them we were telling them what we think they should have this is what you want you know it's very paternalistic you know they're there this is what you need instead of reaching out and listening to what people were saying to us, so um, I think we had that disconnect because we didn't like what they—we didn't like our voters. We weren't representing them, you know. They were saying things to us, and we wasn't listening to what they were saying. We were saying, "No, nah, no, nah, it's not that. What you need is free broadband." <laughs> it's like,
0: <laughs> no.
2: They want it now, though, when they were <laughs> locked down. <laughs> the truth <laughs> is, is, we wasn't, we wasn't listening for, for a long time, and this isn't about any particular leader. I think the Labour Party lost, and that's part of why I got into politics, because what we were trying to do in the trade union movement is, we got fed up, we thought, you weren't speaking for the working class anymore. You know, we felt like there was a disconnect between the parliamentarians and the Labour voters, so the trade union movement tried to get more grassroots working class people into involved in politics and that's how I kind of got involved myself and I think you know that's what we've got to do instead of patronising or telling people what we think they want you've got to listen but equally sometimes challenge because it's right you know you don't give away your values just for a vote. that's wrong but it's about bringing your values together, aligning them with other people's. Because I do believe this country is all about fairness, playing by the rules, and looking after each other. I do believe that that's what socialism is, you know. And I do believe that our country is a socialist country. Just they don't call it that. You know, they, if you sell, call them a socialist, go, no, I'm not. I said, yeah, but if your neighbour fell over, would you pick them up? Yeah, of course I would. That's socialism. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yes. like they don't, they don't see it in that language, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, equally. Um depends how far you want the socialism to go. You sort of well, pick them up and then report them to the secret police.
2: Well, no, th- then you start straying into communists and all that, and they think that that's what we are. And it's like, I'm not a communist, I'm a socialist. The communists hate me. <laughs> 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 it's like, you've got to understand the, you know, it's, you, you've got to understand the, the way it is. I mean, socialism, like I say to me, is about, if someone needs help, you help them. You don't say you're on your own, kid. Do you know what I mean? That's 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 just neighbourly, it's just about fairness. It's about being part of a society and helping each other and having a safety net so that you you all contribute but you all get something out of it, you know. People don't don't ask to be disabled, you know. I often say my son's, you know, registered blind, you know, he's gonna he's not asked to be in those circumstances and he's gonna do okay because he's got a mum who's doing well but you know, if he needed to go on universal credit because he can't get a job, but, you know, th- is that his fault because he's got that discrimination? You know, I feel that in my, you know, I feel that on my conscience. It's like, well, you know, people say you get on, you know, you can do well. It's like, well, you can't if you've got these barriers that are uh, there, that are external barriers. Socialism for me is about giving people opportunity so that you recognise those barriers and you level the playing field and you look out for each other. That's what it's about for me. And I think most people in this country agree with that. It's just that we don't always articulate it <laughs> very well.
1: well. Yeah, maybe the Labour Party hasn't been the best sales force for socialism in the last
2: well, five or six we years. Well, at times we kind of just go a bit like... We just go a bit wonky, don't we? <laughs> you know, even, ma- even me sometimes in a Labour Party meeting, I get a bit like...
1: Oh. What? what uh, how do you mean? <laughs>
2: You know, you start arguing about subsection nine of some like treaty that happened 30 <laughs> years ago, and you sort of it, it feels like bald men fighting over a comb
1: because <laughs> a lot of people
2: <clears throat> it's like we're, there's the crumbs and we're fighting over it and it's like guys, there's a loaf, yeah, but we'll fight over the crumbs here, <laughs> but there's a loaf, it's, you know, that's what we do, it's, it's <laughs> frustrating at times because.
1: <laughs> The perception of you would be that you're on the left of the party, that you are every um, sort of soft to hard left.
2: Yeah, I love that term. I'm soft left, bit soft.
1: <laughs> Is that how you describe yourself?
2: I mean, I mean most people recognise soft left, so I would describe myself as soft left. But I you know what, on certain things I'm not though, because on things like law and order, I'm like quite hardline. I'm like, you know, shoot the terrorist and ask a question second in the morning. I
0: I'm
2: like sorry. No, God, Is that they like, like it? the most that's the most controversial thing I've ever had. No, said?
1: absolutely. No.
2: But on the economy, I'm really radical. I think we need overall on the economy, we need investment. I don't see investment in our infrastructure as a dirty word. I think investing in our economy and diversifying it is actually the way you sustain Britain's economy for the future. Yeah. So I'm quite radical on that. I'm, I'm, I don't think public sector is a dirty word. I believe that it's part of our national security, actually, to have our key infrastructure as part of the public sector. So and you know that does that make me left wing yeah but then on law and order i think if you're being terrorized by the local thug then yeah i want a copper to come and sort them out so i oh you know
1: i have i have this <laughs> is like i mean I'd, so I you can't, can't pigeonhole me you know what i yeah. mean
2: it's like this is how i roll it's like yeah you know i said that to jeremy i said don't ever put me in position because you won't like me because <laughs> we're on a different page on something like that and i think but that's the p- beauty of the labor party for me is about we we do have different views and it's about finding that way of connecting with the voters but i don't think i'm disconnected from the people i grew up with you know i was plagued by anti-social behavior i was plagued by being robbed you know, and it's not a nice situation, and, you know, I just think that, you know, you should be hardline on things like that. You know, it's not just, oh, you've been burgled, there's a crime number. No, yeah. I want you to beat down the doors of the criminal and sort them out and antagonise <laughs> them. That's what I say to my local police, you know, three o'clock in the morning, antagonise them so that they realise yeah. that, no, you know, because it's the usual suspects, isn't it? We all know if you go up on a council estate, you know it's the usual suspects. They think they can get away with it. No, I want the police to annoy the hell out of them until they realise that, you know, disrupting people, ordinary working people's lives is not okay. And these people deserve protection. So I am quite, you know, I am quite a hard on stuff like
1: that. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> like, this is like, you're <coughs> to the right of Tony Blair. Uh,
2: more police, yeah, I'm more police. I like police. I think they do a good job. And I think, you know, well, I'd like them to investigate a bit more. <laughs> 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 what is the way I do like I do like I do like people you see because this is the thing right and it comes down to the party gate and everything else It's like most people in this country play by the rules they believe in them yeah it's like the rules are there you play by them. so if someone seems to get away with not playing by the rules then it's not okay whether that's the local fog or whether that's the Prime Minister you know at the end of the day you play by the rules you part of society Those rules protect us all. And when it falls down is when people don't feel like they get protected and that it's one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. And I don't like that.
1: So do you think, in dealing with Boris Johnson, who seems to have broken the law numerous times and consumed a lot of alcohol, the police should go to Downing Street at three in the morning?
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They should be there already anyway. I presume (laughs) they are. (laughs) But, you know, I I I do think, like, I, I do have a passion for... Supporting people who are in, because I remember being in that circumstance where you feel powerless, you know, and you shouldn't have to feel powerless. If you're playing by the rules and you're doing the right thing, then you should feel the protection of the community around you. And that means that if you need the police, they should
1: be there to support you. End of. Yeah, no, I totally, I mean, you know, I I try and remain impartial in these matters, but... (laughs) Absolutely. You know, <laughs> give them hell.
2: But the thing is, right, if you've, if you've worked hard, you've grafted, right, you've got a really nice car. May, say you've got an Audi on the drive, right, you've worked your, mm. butt, off, you've worked your butt off to yeah. get it, right?
0: Yeah.
2: You, you don't see your kids because you're working 10 hour days. It's your pride and joy, you've, you, you think everything of it. And then some little s- s- scrope comes <laughs> along and steals it. And then not only yeah. does someone come and steal it, right, but then you ring the police and go, here's a crime reference number. No, that's not good enough. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
1: It's important. Knuckle dusters, batons. <laughs> taser, taser, taser.
2: But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's important, isn't it? One person's yeah. mountain is another person's molehill and vice versa. I just think, you know what? It's, it, it matters to people. It's a principle. If it's, if it's a wrong one, then it should be dealt with.
1: <laughs> so we know how you think the police should do with Boris Johnson. How electorally, let's say he's still the Prime Minister of the next election and he, and he goes into it to be re-elected. How does Labour defeat Boris Johnson?
2: Well, I think he's doing a good job of it on his own, to be honest. (laughs) For us, I mean, I think he's joined the Labour Party. I'm (laughs) checking the membership (laughs) to see whether he's actually a secret cell. Um, It's the only party
1: he hasn't joined.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's because we just deal with, like, historical context and subsection nine of whatever... (laughs) something happened before we don't do the booze um <laughs> so but but no I think you know I think Boris's time's up because you know you can play and you can be a boy you can be a bit you know you can be a bit of a banter and all that but at the end of the day when it comes to a time of a global pandemic and people are dying and your granny's in a care home and he's like letting people in with COVID but you can't go and see your granny it becomes a bit more serious when you can't have go to your family's funeral but he's like getting pissed you know in Downing Street it's not a good look and you know I think people recognize that even if it wasn't in a COVID pandemic right we're in a period of national mourning the queen lost a part life partner and you're you're in a party, and then you say you're not in a party, and lying to people, I mean, that just... There's a line, isn't there? And I think he's crossed that line for most people now.
1: I think he snorted it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um... You could say that, I couldn't possibly (laughs) comment. (laughs) But, do you think in order to win, obviously Labour are polling well now, but in order to actually win an election, bearing in mind the mountain Labour needs to scale to even get a hung parliament... Does Labour need to be more closer to the centre ground?
2: Um, No, I don't think so, because I don't like magnolia politics. I call it magnolia politics, you know, when you don't offend anyone. If I've not offended anyone, then I'm not doing my job. You know, you have to inspire (laughs) as well as, you know, that's that's the point. It's like, say what you mean and mean what you say. And you won't get everything. Like, in this audience, some people will agree with some of what I've said tonight and some will definitely not agree with it. You're not going to get everything you want, but at least... Give people a feel of where you are, so they know what they're getting, and I think that's what we've got to do. And I think we've got to take a, a radical chance on that. In other words, be bold about and be confident. I think that's what we've got to do. Be confident about what we are, and if you're speaking on the behalf of the people you want to represent, then you should be confident because you're feeding back what you're hearing. And be bold. That's what they expect from leaders. That's what they expect from the people that speak. My constituents want me to tell you those things. It might not always. Not everyone agree, but that's what I'm confident in what I say is what my constituents believe. Um, So I think if we're able to give that confidence and that clear message about what do we stand for and how are we going to change Britain for them, you don't have to have it all mapped out. It's not like a massive, like 80 page manifesto, but they just need to feel you. Do you know what I mean? You need to feel it. What am I getting? (laughs) So I I just think magnolia type, playing it safe is just not the way to go. Play it with your heart, you know, speak from the heart and and you'll win because people can connect with that. Um, Whereas if you're just a bit too safe and a bit like, oh, you know, I don't want to upset that person or that person, then... you're not going to please anyone you know you need to inspire people to vote for you rather than oh they're crap so i'll take a punt on you i'd hate that you know if we come to the next general election it's just like well they're really shit so we'll vote for you i want to inspire you to vote for me you know i want you to feel some passion about voting rather than feeling like oh well they're the best of the bad lot it's
1: better than losing them isn't it
2: it's better than losing, <laughs> but still. <laughs> I kind of hope we could do better than, all right, you're less shit than them. <laughs> but
1: it's an aspiration, I know. It's a tough gig, but I'm kind of hoping we can get there. But the last Labour government was centre ground, but that didn't. F- peace in Northern Ireland doesn't feel magnolia, Sure Start doesn't feel magnolia, academies, w- what they did for the health service.
2: You see, I don't think, if you look at 97 wouldn't have said that was center ground do you remember what they said about the national minimum wage it's like oh it's gonna collapse you know yeah. business is gonna kill over it's the end of business and now it's like well yeah it's fine you know uh, even the tories are claiming it so yeah. you know it's, it's it's amazing how things change over time but there was radical stuff coming out of the 97 government and labor went in very fresh and was seen as very radical there was change people could feel that they had ideas about how to take the country forward. You know, Gordon Brown reformed the economic situation. You know, created the ONS and things like that. So, you know, there was there was progress that was made, radical progress. Waiting times with the NHS, you know, absolutely dropped. Massive amount of investment. Schools building schools for the future. You know, brand new schools suddenly popping up from nowhere. And so th- there was an infectious like radical edge to. New Labour. And I think that's how people felt. You know, in genuinely in ninety seven, I think people genuinely went to the to vote and was like, you're not as shit as them. They actually went in and went, You're you're good. We yeah. want it. And I don't think it was necessarily centre, ground. It was because they had a plan for the future. They had an optimistic, positive future, future plan for for Britain. And I think people liked that, you know. And that's the challenge for us really, because when you're in opposition, you always look like the Oh, everything's bad. <laughs> so you like the naysayers, aren't you? you like the people that you don't want to see at the bar. You say, how are you doing? You're like, well, it's not great. It's like, I weren't really asking you because I wanted to know how you was. Do you know what I mean? we're like the ones that are like a bit, you know, so you have to find a way of being upbeat about what you can achieve and have that aspiration. And I think that's kind of what we need to deliver for the general election as well. It's not just talk about how crap they are. But actually inspire people about the energy that we bring to the table about how we're going to do things differently
1: okay now a couple of weeks ago i thought it was too unsafe to ask questions but i'm going to take a couple of audience questions if you feel comfortable so um don't uh, don't spray your droplets everywhere then. for god's sake <laughs> try and ask it without shouting too hard so um <coughs> if i could ask for one sentence questions please and one sentence answers if possible um, and then we can get through a few. So if we just bring the house lights up a little bit, just clearly indicate if you'd like to ask Andrew a question. And uh, I'll uh, if we just bring the house lights up a bit. I can't really see, it uh, you we'll can't just see just a thing, can Yeah, yet. I <laughs> can't see a thing, no. Uh, I, I don't think the house lights are going to come up. Uh, yes, there's a hand in the middle there. And let us know your name, please. Oh,
2: Alex, hi. Is there anyone you'd actually be worried about
1: Okay, I'll repeat that for the podcast. So it's from Alex. Is there anyone you would see as a threat taking over from Boris?
2: Um. I mean, not as a threat. I just don't think... The cons- I think the Conservatives have run out of ideas, to be honest. I think they haven't got a plan for the country going forward. So I just think, bring it on. I mean, the people that are going to stand have been part of that cabinet and they have propped up what everything that they've done. You know, we've got the COVID inquiry coming as well, which I'm sure will... Uh, say a lot about you know we've just seen the four plus billion that they've wasted on fraud you know and where they've mishandled it. it's great that we had furlough but if you mishandle it then you're accountable for it so I think that as that comes out you know you can't just say oh it was all Boris Johnson you were part of that cabinet you were part of that that government you know so I I, I don't fear them what I fear is us not getting into power and allowing them to continue for another four or five years that's what frightens me is that actually we've got to get our house together. It's interesting because my brother, sorry I know you said a quick answer but I've got to say this. Well I said one sentence it's just a long one. I know but I've got to say I've got to say my brother like literally blamed me for for us losing the general election. I think a lot of people felt like that. They felt that we didn't offer him an alternative and this time I feel that um, we must offer an alternative that people can vote for.
1: So did your brother vote Labour?
2: He did, but he was he he was reluctant.
1: And what was it about Labour at the last election that he didn't like?
2: He just felt that we were all over the place, too much, and he didn't like my leader. He was very clear. His ex-army was like, I don't like your leader. And you've propped him up and I was like well you know I tried to have those conversations because I think it was quite unfair but I think he was quite representative of a lot of people at the time whether fair or not you know he's the electorate yeah <laughs> he, he has a vote but you know you vote for me because it's me yeah.
1: <laughs> well he says he did
2: yeah, well, he's <laughs> yeah. exactly I'm Gavin Tore and his rent that's it <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think I think he represents a lot of people, you know. You can't turn around and say, I don't like the electorate, change the electorate. That's the game we're in, and it was hard to hear, but that's how he felt, and I think a lot of people felt that way.
1: And so he's ex-forces? Yeah. So um, I'm presuming quite a patriotic guy. Would you describe yourself as a patriot?
2: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, definitely. And my kids are named after royals, so I've got Charles Wilford and James Stewart, after the Stewart line, Charles and James, yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> but did I overshare? <laughs>
2: I said this to Piers Morgan once when he said, oh, you don't like the royals. I was like, well, my kids are named after kings, you know.
1: Yeah, you're named after Jeremy's brother.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. He's the lefty now, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly, Piers. Don't tell me I'm not into my royals.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, I really can't... See. Yes, there's one down here.
2: As you said, our trade unions are so important and our representation is so important. So how do you think we give more grassroots people the confidence to go for positions that you
1: run for? How do you give more grassroots people the confidence to do what you've done, stamp upon and get elected?
2: I think it's part of why I haven't changed, you know, I still say party, not party, is because I want I don't want ever to hover above my class and the people that I represent. That's why I talk so graphically about my upbringing is because I want people to connect to it. Uh, not because a lot of people go, Oh, poor little Angie. It's kind of I don't want that. I want people to connect to it to say I'm no better than you. I might be the right honourable Angela Rayner, but I'm Angie Rayner, the 16 year old who was terrified who thought she'd never amount to anything. So I try and bring people in by being approachable. And that's why I reach out to my school kids as well all the time, is just to try and, you know, make that little bit of difference. And I think not only do I do that on an individual level, but the one thing, and I'll ask you all in the audience tonight to do it, and I do it every thing that I do, is um, encourage someone. So after this, if you just text or send a postcard or something to someone who you know, it's amazing, but you don't. You've never told them that you think that they'd be really good at doing something. Then please, you know, one thing from tonight, if you'll do me one favour, is to do that. Give them a text or give them a post, drop them a postcard in the post, just saying why you, you they inspire you for whatever it is they do. It might be something really simple or whatever, and it makes my day when I get one. So please do that for someone else and encourage them.
1: Um, my Twitter handle, by the way, is @MattFord. <laughs> 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 if anyone wants to <laughs> say something nice or what. <laughs> Okay, we've got time for one last question. So maybe, uh, is there someone near the back? Because I've taken them uh, all. Right over there, uh, and this is the final and therefore best question of the night. No pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not so much questions. Uh, my wife's a ginger from Stockport. Hey! My wife's a ginger from Stockport. I probably know Stockport. her. <laughs> so,
0: and she's a strong woman. So I just want to say, you're a fucking absolute star. <laughs>
1: Well, what, he said, and that's not
2: my husband. Just in case <laughs> <laughs> any of you needed that clarification. <laughs>
0: yeah, <changed> some
1: money. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Wow. I, I mean, but just on the Tories, then you, you would have no difference in, in fighting Jeremy Hunt or Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. You, no, you don't because think either one the, of them would be a better candidate. No,
2: because the ideology is the same, and the, the, the they've still been part of that. Jeremy Hunt slightly less because he, he got booted off the front bench didn't he and he's been quite outspoken to be fair but um, all of them have just you know been part of that process like I said before you know the ideology that I find different to them is that they think that as long as you work hard you'll do well whereas I recognise that's not the case my friends and people who I grew up with they got more qualifications than me at school they work just as hard as me And some of them are living in real poverty at the moment and it's not their poverty and it's not their fault and if you acquire a disability or if you get down on your luck you know you've worked you've grafted you've tried to start your own business and something like covid happens and then your business goes under you know i just don't think you can say it's because of your fault or you need to be looked at because you're on universal credit it's your fault you know i just I don't subscribe to that. I think, actually, as a society, we should give people opportunities and constant look for opportunities for people. That's what I think government's role is, is to try and, you know, give people the opportunity to help themselves. Not paternalistic, respectful of people to let them help themselves. And that's the difference. I don't think people want to be in poverty. People don't want to be on benefits. That's horseshit. shit. You know, that's not where people are at. People don't like it. You want to look after your family, you want to be in work to give your family a better opportunity. Most people want their kids to do better than they did. I believe in that, I believe in that's what we stand for. So our job is to make that happen for people.
1: So, uh, you know, wh- whatever your ambitions are, if you became Prime Minister, <laughs> firstly, do you think the Labour Party will ever elect a female leader? Yes. Um, and w- In the next hundred years?
2: Yes, yeah, because I'll make
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it never has?
2: Because I don't know. Because they, it hasn't. You know, I don't think it's particularly because they've got an anti-woman problem. To be honest, I don't think that's the case. I don't feel like me being a woman has stopped me in the Labour Party. Um, you know, I don't think it's impeded me in any way, shape, or form. I just think you know, it's about when the time's right for the electorate to vote for it, but I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure they recognise that the time's right, you know, once we get to the next leadership, you know, but at the moment I'm happy with Keir and I'm happy to be the one that pulls the strings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if you did find yourself as Prime Minister, having won a general
2: election... (laughs) Well, that's some serious hangover, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Where am I? Number 10. (laughs) Russia's encroaching. <laughs> like, oh, my God, could I have a, can I have a bov roll or something, or a coffee first? Well, it's interesting that you picked Russia encroaching because, um, you know, the previous leader of the Labour Party would have been fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about that, but... Um, <laughs> I'm certainly... You know,
2: the thought of being in number 10 is just like, it's scary, but it's also exciting. You know, the ability to change people's lives and out them is just like it's intoxicating to think that's the that's what we should all think of that's what i say to the members it's like when you're having a bit of a mallee because you're not happy about something a bit of a what a bit of a mallee
1: what's that it
2: means like when you're having a bit of a rant you know you're upset you're having a bit of a you know one of those moments where you're just like it's like when you're having a row. when you're having a mallee it's like when you're in that moment just think about like the bigger picture because if we fight each other in our movement then why would anyone want to join us why would why would they want us to govern if we can't even be civil to each other? And, and that's the bigger p- issue because then we let down the kids that need the free school meals. We let down the kids that need the Sure Start centres and everything else. You know.
1: So. And should Labour choose a female leader of the Labour Party one day, should that person be you? <coughs> Do you think Britain would elect a working-class woman from the north to be prime minister? Uh,
2: yeah, I think they. W- I think they would. I think they would. Cause Rebecca they Long-Bailey?
0: Would. <laughs>
2: they could. <laughs> <laughs> they could, or, yeah.
1: Or, I, I guess I mean, or Angela Rayne.
2: I mean, I, I'm, I'm, do you know what? I don't care as long as we get there. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'll play my... If I'm the answer to the question, I know, for me, when I stood to be Deputy Leader, that was the answer to my question and the answer to how I think I could serve our country and serve our party, and I still believe that was the right decision for me, and I still believe in that. And if uh, one day I think that that's the right decision, not, not selfishly because I think somehow I'm going to be the big don, but actually <laughs> I think that's going to get us elected and get us into government, then I'd do it, you know, because it would be an abdication of responsibility not to, but it'd scare the life out of me to do yeah. it. You know, I've, I've not got this, like, big eagle that says, "Oh, you need to do that. It'd scare me after death. But um, if that's the only way that I see the answer to how <coughs> we get there, then sure, mm-hmm. I'm not going to... I'm not going to walk away from that, but it's not an ambition that I have. My ambition is to get Labour into power, and I'll, I'll take every breath in my lungs to make that happen.
1: Operation Save Big Don. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Um.
2: <laughs> that just sounds like Pornhub or something. Does it? <laughs> It doesn't sound it sounds nasty blokes
1: in the audience going what website <laughs> <laughs> corn hub what's that like what yeah don't google it
2: <laughs> not on your work email anyway because I'm not your union rep you ain't going to get away with it now <laughs> I'm too busy
1: <laughs> Angela this has been such a delight thank you so much before we go uh, please give a huge thank you to everyone who works at the Duchess Theatre and everyone from Avalon who made tonight possible thank you all very much but ladies and gentlemen, this really has been one of the greatest episodes of this ever recorded. Please give a huge thank you to the fantastic Angela Rayner. Thank you. Well, there you go. Angela Rayner, the absolute and Diet Coke, who was flowing <laughs> at the Duchess Theatre on Monday night. What an absolute character. And someone who's just so comfortable being herself. And of course, that's true of some politicians, but actually very few really being themselves like that and uh, owning everything about themselves. And of course, at times, very emotional talking about her upbringing and her life. And really, it is incredible that given uh, the relationship with her parents and given that she left school when she did uh, and that she was raising a, a, a child from a very young age, that She's ever made it to Parliament, let alone deputy leader of the Labour Party, and who knows what else in the future. Um, you get the sense, of course, that if Labour ever in, go- ever in government, she's going to be at the very least a leading cabinet minister. And that's just, I mean, that tells, firstly, an amazing story about Angela's personality and her drive and her ability and how impressive she is. But also, in a way, it's a modern story about the country that. More working class people, it seems, I would hope, are see politics as a legitimate choice and are motivated to go in and will go in and will get somewhere. Um, So there's something inherently hopeful about and and Keir Starmer's story as well, when you think of the things that he went through. And of course, there are some politicians in Parliament that have been through that, but it does feel like. At the moment, if you look at Labour, Keir Starmer, West Streeting, Angela Rayner, people from particular type of backgrounds that are now Labour's leading stars, um, there is something quite hopeful about that, about where our political parties are recruiting from uh, and long may it continue. Um, but overall, just what a phenomenal laugh of a night that was. It was a real, real treat. And um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it far and wide, tell everyone about it, subscribe, leave a five-star review and um, a written review if you can. And, oh, just a joy to be back. Hopefully I'll see you on tour. If you live outside of London, um, come see me with my clowns to the left jokes to the right or come into London to see uh, the political party with those phenomenal forthcoming guests, Michael Heseltine, Edwina Curry, Neil Kinnock, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and a whole load more to be announced. I'll leave you to it. ta